This episode is sponsored in part by the 2021 Annual Conference of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 1514, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the Executive Director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to this episode of 1514. It's a pleasure to have you with us. This episode is an interview that I did with Margie Tripp. Many of our audience are familiar with Margie and her husband, Ted, and their through their writing ministry of Shepherding a Child's Heart, Instructing a Child's Heart, as well as various other ministry outlets. Uh, this book that I had the opportunity to interview Margie about is her latest, and it's called It's Not Too Late, Restoring Broken Relationships with teenage and adult children. And Margie and I had a wonderful conversation. I think you'll really be blessed by it and benefited benefit from it. Uh, I was not able, obviously, to cover everything that's in the book, so I encourage you to go check it out. I misspoke at the end of the podcast and, and as far as where you can go, but Shepherd's, Shepherd Press is offering a 30% discount to listeners of the 1514 podcast. So if you go to shepherdpress.com and enter the code all caps, too late, uh, in your checkout, you can get 30% off this great resource. I encourage you to go there and check it out. At the end, I throw in an S there and call it shepherdspress.org, but it's actually shepherd, no S, shepherdpress.com, and we'll link to it in our show notes. I hope you enjoy today's episode, and thanks for listening. Welcome to today's episode of 1514. As always, I really appreciate you listening in. Today, I have a special guest with me to discuss her most recent book, It's Not Too Late. Uh, Margie Tripp is with me today. So Margie, thanks so much for joining us for 1514. It's my privilege to be here. Thank you. So for those who don't know you, could you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience? Well, I, I'm Margie. I've been a teacher, a school administrator, counselor, pastor's wife, but probably most importantly, like most women, I love my role as a mom and a grandmother. We have three adult children, two daughters-in-law, and we regard them as our own children. They're precious to us, and we have nine grandchildren. Oh, that's wonderful. That is wonderful. And today we're discussing your most recent book, It's Not Too Late, Restoring Broken Relationships with Teenage and Adult Children. Can you tell everybody kind of just the main, I know it's in the subtitle, but the main thesis of the book? Well, my big point is this. It's possible through Christ-like humility and a lot of patience mm. to rebuild broken relationships with teens and adult children. And what I'm really doing is providing a paradigm for how parents can rebuild relationships with children that have been damaged or sometimes even completely broken. I'm not suggesting that every broken relationship will result in our estranged children becoming Christians, but I am suggesting that we can, we can uh, repair the damage that has been done over years. Yeah, though that's, that's really good, and that's a helpful caveat there because I think especially when you're hurting and you, you have that broken relationship and your ultimate desire is for your children to be saved, you're, you are looking for an answer. You're looking for a solution to that, and I think your, your book does a, a good job of balancing and helping people realize um, 
you can speak into it. There's a certain amount you can do, but you can't guarantee that's going to happen. Um, what what led you to write this book now? Well, it's really a response to scores of conversations and counseling with parents who've asked the question, what if it's too late? Mm. We have no relationship with our child. And this is often with teens, sometimes even with adult children. And they feel like it's too late to do the shepherding and instructing that Ted and I teach about. Uh, Sometimes the disappointment that parents feel is not only about the hurt of broken relationship, but also they have a sense that they haven't, quote unquote, gotten it right in their parenting. Mm. They they feel like if I had gotten it right, if I had done everything that you recommend, that I wouldn't be facing the grief of broken relationship. And I really, in It's Not Too Late, want to dispel the myth that getting it right saves our children or assures us that they will respond well to life struggles that they face or our parenting. It's only grace that saves our children. And it's only God's grace working in us as parents that will enable us to bring reconciliation when our relationships with our children are broken. Yeah, that's a that's a really good word. And I think because um, <clears throat> a lot of our listeners I know have read your books, uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart and Instructing a Child's Heart. And I think it, it could be a temptation for people to think, well, I read those books. We did all those things. What's what's going on? It didn't work, quote unquote. And for them to come back to I'm sure you have gotten plenty of people coming back and saying, what's what's going on? So, well, uh, I hadn't thought about it, but would this be, in a sense, be like a sequel or a third follow-up to, to that series? In a sense, it is answering the questions that you have posed. When parents have, have read Shepherding and Instructing, and particularly if they're further along in the process of, of raising their children, or if their children have already been raised, mm. it leaves them with this question, uh, what if it's too late? Yeah. And really, the, the book is a response to scores of conversations with parents who are in the throes of broken relationships. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I really appreciated that because when we, one of the churches where I served, I remember a few times after we had somebody come in and do a parenting conference, there were parents whose children were older, uh, already out of the home, and they came back and said, why didn't we know this before? And and I wish we had had this when we were raising our kids because we blew it in so many ways, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And I really, like, I know that that audience of people will really benefit from this book. Uh, who else did you have in mind as an audience as you were writing? Well, I really had, had counselors in mind Uh because this book provides a biblical paradigm for reconciling broken relationships. And so it could be used by counselors for homework or as a study guide and working through the reconciliation process with parents. We need to help parents to understand what biblical reconciliation looks like. We need to work through with them spiritual preparation for reconciliation. So they're not just going into it recklessly. And of course, uh, we also need to provide practical conversation starters for approaching children. And that's really uh, what I've tried to accomplish in the book. So I think it would be very useful for counselors, but it would also be useful for pastors who are faced with hurting parents, something to put in their hands 
to help them. My son actually suggested that it's a good cautionary tale for parents mm. to avoid developing broken relationships with their children. So I would say those are the audiences that I'm looking for. Parents often come to, uh, to counselors, particularly, looking for ways to fix their rebellious teens yeah. or fix their wayward adult children and repair these uh, damaged relationships. But as Christians, we know that real healing, real gospel healing, always starts with us. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't come about by changing those who, who we're having the conflict with. And we need to help parents understand that biblical truth. Yeah, no, that's that's really good, and and I appreciate that perspective too of just the preventative side. I'm, I'm my boys are still pretty young, and I think we have uh, good relationships still. But as I was reading, I'm like, man, what can I do to help not have this be the case? And one thing that that struck me uh, in my own heart, but also just as you wrote it, and it's very clear in, in scripture, is the necessity of humility. And you identify that as humility as the heart of reconciliation. Could you explain that to our audience? Like, why is that? And why is humility so important in this, in reconciliation? Yeah, reconciliation requires giving up self-defense and justification. And it's Mm -hmm. humbling. It's humbling to give up our defenses and to be vulnerable for the sake of reconciliation with others. But without humility, we end up defending the choices we've made. Mm. And so we recite our good intentions and we try to diminish our failures. That's true in any relationship. It's certainly true in the parenting relationship. And so our temptation is to justify our parenting style. Mm. But acknowledging our failures is much more disarming than defending our choices. I think that is so important to understand I'm going to say it again. Uh, Acknowledging our failures is much more disarming than defending our choices. And if you think about it, that's true in all of our relationships, certainly in the husband-wife relationship. So humility definitely is at the heart of reconciliation. Uh, Yeah, that's that's really good. And I think it's... um as you said, an important aspect of every relationship, and honestly, just the Christian life, right? Philippians 2 tells us that attitude which was in Christ is what we need to, to, <laughs> to have in us, and that is humility. But I think especially for parents, it's, it's challenging because, um, well, for instance, like Dave Ramsey always talks about what he calls the powdered butt syndrome, that once somebody's powdered your butt, they'll never listen to you kind of thing. <laughs> um, and and I think for parents that is that the opposite of humility. That is so. How do you how have you practiced and how do you encourage parents to develop humility towards their children who are younger than them, who are supposed to honor them, respect them, submit to them, those kind of things? Um, how do we develop humility towards our children? I think we always have to be ready to acknowledge sin and our need of grace. The, that keeps us humble. (laughs) And it also models something wonderful for our children. It models the reality of, of not only justification, 
the fact that we've been saved by grace, but it also models for them the fact that we live we live with a repentant heart. Every day we need to be repenting. Yeah. And that that is just a platform for humility. We develop humility through repentance. And really the scripture identifies repentance as the path to humility. I think it's instructive in uh, James 4, James chapter 4, that the remedy for friendship with the world and spiritual adultery is repentance. Mm. James doesn't uh, suggest getting others to change or trying harder. He, he doesn't give us 10 easy steps uh, to solving our problems. He says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And then he gives that wonderful, uh, those 10 uh, items of repentance that are so powerful uh, that we don't have time to talk about, but they're <laughs> worth looking at. And then he sums up uh, the repentance process with humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So I believe that humility and repentance live together yeah. and they, they support and encourage one another. Yeah. And in, in the gospel, obviously that's so central to both are so central to the gospel and just re living and reminding ourselves of the gospel based on our repentance acknowledgement that, we need crisis, so so central. One one of the things I was, um, I think it just came to mind even when I read the title. I don't even think it came from the book, but when I was in youth ministry, I remember a lot of parents had this attitude of just, if I can just get my kids to eighteen, then they're on their own. I don't have to. I'm done with them. Kind of mentality. <laughs> Um, and, and that's one end of a spectrum I'll say is that like once they're grown, I have no responsibility. The um, I, I don't have any authority in their life, that kind of thing. And then maybe another end of the spectrum is, is parents who feel like they are their the authority over their children in every area of life for the entirety of their lives, um, mm -hmm. which can maybe lead to overbearing and controlling. Um, how do you help people recognize that neither is good and maybe there's a somewhere in between that they need to go down? Huh. I, I think this is such an important question because our culture has extended childhood really to the detriment of our of our young people, of our yeah. children. The truth is that we want to raise our children to leave our homes. That's our goal. Mm -hmm. We want them to establish their own home, either as a single adult or to start their own family. Our adult children are responsible for their choices and their direction. And parents no longer bear responsibility for their care and provision uh, once they reach that point. When our children become adults, we want to move into a relationship of mutuality with them rather than encouraging dependence on us. And sadly, in our culture, children are young adult children are dependent on their parents. We have mutual relationships with other adults, not dependent relationships. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean that we abandon our children, that <laughs> we don't wash our hands of them. We keep loving them. We pray for them. We, uh, we always stand ready to encourage them and even advise them, but only when we're asked for more advice. But we distort God's purpose for productive service 
for Christ's kingdom when we keep our children from functioning as adults. Christian parents desperately need to get a hold of this idea. Our job with our adult children is to carry on the same one another ministries that we practice with our other adult relationships, not to continue parenting. So I would say to the parents who uh, are the hands off people uh, that we're built for relationship. Your children need your love. They need your prayer. They need for you to view them as adults and begin a, a relationship of mutuality where you're um, practicing the one another and callings of scripture. And for parents who are still feel totally responsible, we need to recognize that they were, they were suited by God. They were made by God to be adults, to live productively for Christ's kingdom. They won't do that as long as they're dependent on us. Yeah, that's a good, those are good, good words. I appreciate, <clears throat> appreciate that. Um, in the, in the book, you talk about rebellion and the fact that sometimes the relationship is broken because of rebellion. So how do you, how do you define rebellion or describe it? Uh, okay, well, uh, rebellion is most importantly, I think, a vertical rejection of God's sovereign governance over us as creatures made in his image. Hmm. Uh, like the, the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. When we live in that relationship vertically with God, we're a fool, and that's rebellion. That is the most significant rebellion. Secondarily, in the family, rebellion is a horizontal rejection of parents as God's agents uh, of nurture, of motivation, correction, and, and discipline. We could really flatten the definition out to say that rebellion is rejection of the authority structures that God has ordained for our good in all the spheres that he's given us, the home, the church, the workplace, and the community. So I would, first of all, define rebellion as a rejection of God's governance of us. And then, of course, in terms of the hierarchy that God has created, that trickles down yeah. to the family and to the other spheres of authority. Yeah, kind of a Romans 13, all authority has been given by God. So anytime we're rebelling, ultimately it's against God, but it is a rejection of that those governing structures. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you, you mentioned on page 55, you encourage parents not to take this, this rebellion personally. Um, mm -hmm. Can you explain what you mean by that and why that's important? Well, by, by taking it personally, I'm, I'm talking about being absorbed with my hurt and pain mm. over my child's rebellion, making it about me, mm. uh, being consumed with it myself and the ways that it affects me. But in reality, as I've already mentioned, all rebellion it's, at, at its heart is rebellion against God. And when parents take rebellion personally, they get in the way of their child's real adversary in their rebellion, which is God and their relationship with God. We have to get out of the way so that the real dilemma can be addressed in our children's hearts. Our hurt 
our indignation about their disrespect, it's real and it's very, very painful, but it's not the big issue. We really must be, we have to be committed to God's agenda rather than preserving our own feelings if we're going to promote reconciliation. Yeah, I appreciate that because it's, 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 uh, I think it's easy for people to misinterpret that when we say that, whether it's in this context or in other contexts, when we say, hey, don't take that personally. I think we sometimes feel like, uh, or people hear misinterpreted saying is like, I shouldn't feel anything because of that. I need to not, and that's not at all what you're saying, because it does hurt. But it, but saying, let's acknowledge the the greater need here and not make it about my hurt, but about what's most important in this, and for them, and for uh, for God's glory. So yeah, I really, really appreciate that because it's it can sound <laughs> confusing to people. So uh, no, it's really, really good. The 2021 Annual Conference of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors is coming up October 4th through the 6th in Charlotte, North Carolina. O Church Arise! Reclaiming a Culture of Care is the title of this year's conference. You can find out more or register by going to biblicalcounseling.com. You can register to attend the conference in person, or you can join virtually this year as well. I look forward to attending the conference in person, and I hope to see you there. Um, how can a parent, um, how can you help a parent acknowledge that pain and, and wrestle through it and process that with the Lord while not um, getting in the way, not making it about them? Not making it about themselves. Yeah. yeah. Well, it really depends. Uh, it really depends on how we think about it and how we how we process this hurt, uh, because typically in our culture we've been told to let it all out, <laughs> let yeah, it all hang yeah. out, and mm-hmm. let people know how you feel. But of course, we know that that's destructive to relationship. If our concern is for the spiritual well-being of our child, then we must be more concerned with how they're how they grieve God mm. than how we have been hurt. Because as soon as we introduce our personal hurt, we muddy the waters. We see that everywhere in relationship in our cultures. We become the object of the conflict. And we will find no healing relief by burdening our children with our grief. It will have one of two results, and I've found this in counseling over the years. Either it will drive your child further into their sense of justification for their rebellion against you, or it may drive them to temporarily change because they feel guilty. They feel guilty for hurting you. They feel badly. You you make them cry. But it doesn't move them to God, it doesn't move them to repentance, and it doesn't last because the next skirmish throws up the walls between you again. I want to encourage parents, take your hurt and grief to the Lord. God promises help to those who are grieved. He's the perfect place to find relief. Remember in Psalm 62, David is grieved because his son Absalom is trying to take his life. Talk about broken relationship. (laughs) And, And he says, trust in him. That is the Lord at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. When we when we unburden our hurt to our children, we're trying to make them our refuge. They can't 
They can't bear that burden. Psalm 34 preaches the same truth. The psalmist is suffering, but he takes his grief to the Lord and he says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in the spirit. Go to the Lord. Prayer is a wonderful hedge of, I guess, being ruled by our feelings and against using others to make us feel better. So I think we have to we have to adjust. We have to get transformed minds about acknowledging our hurt. If we take it first to the Lord, if we pour out our hearts to the Lord, if we've known the balm of Gilead for our hurts, then we can go to our children and even talk to them honestly about the pain in our relationship yeah. without uh, expecting them to be the avenue of uh of of help for our hurt yeah no that's really good i appreciate you saying that at the end there because it's i think people we don't want to communicate that the goal is pour out your concern to the lord and then go to your children with the stoic unmoved mentality because that's not that's not one it's not reality but to to be able to share yeah what you did hurt me but i'm not looking for your I'm not asking you to reconcile with me for my own heart's sake because the Lord is taking care of my heart. Obviously, I love you and I want that, but <laughs> but I'm more concerned about your relationship with the Lord and what's best for you, and you're not the solution to my pain kind of thing. So, yeah, that's really, really helpful. Um, I, I, I'm really resisting the temptation to give away the whole framework for the book and everything because I want people to buy it and get it for themselves and read it. <laughs> and we couldn't cover it all in, in 30 minutes. But there are a few other things I want to to ask, uh, maybe draw out some great truths for people to take, but also to encourage them to, that there's plenty more to get. Uh, around pages 59 and 60, you're describing uh, the difference between our child's Godward orientation and then shaping influences in their lives. Can you explain the importance of that, the having a proper understanding of those dynamics? Sure. Well, let me let me identify first what shaping influences and Godward orientation yes. are about, what I mean <laughs> by those terms. <laughs> shaping influences are all the experience of children's lives that shape the way they think about the people in their world and the circumstances of their lives. And the Godward orientation of their hearts dictates, dictates whether they worship God or they bow before the idols of sec secular culture. Uh, those idols are things like self-love, self-indulgence, uh, pride, popularity, uh, wealth, fame, uh, just to name a few. Yeah. Uh, some parents fear that their shaping influences are the only reason for their child's rebellion. And so they're always asking the question, where did I go wrong? How could, what did I do wrong? Uh, why is this happening to me? Why when I tried so hard? They, they uh, view the shaping influences as the primary reason for their child's, uh, the course of their child's life. Other parents try to deny that their shaping influences or any of the events of their child's life figured in any way into the rebellion that their child is expressing. The truth is that our children are always interpreting the shaping influences of life. And they either interpret those influences by depending on their own wisdom and their own experience or by believing what God says is true in his word. 
And parents provide profound shaping influences, but our shaping influences are not the reason for the spiritual direction of our children, the choices that they make. Their Godward orientation is. What they do with God determines how they respond to their shaping influence. It's so important to understand the balance of these dynamics because we want to help our children interpret their experience of life accurately. That's the only way they'll find hope in God. They really need to understand how they can access the unseen world to help them interpret the seen world, their experience of life. It's really what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 4. Yeah, that's really good. And I was I was glad you put it there for parents to think about from their perspective, because we've all, anybody who's done biblical counseling for a while knows we have to try to help our the person we're ministering to understand that perspective, that you can't blame all of these circumstances in life, your upbringing or your traumatic experiences or whatever for your all of your choices. Yes, they are influencers. We don't want to ignore that. We shouldn't deny that either. But um, helping them get that proper perspective and then for you to bring that to the parents and say, this is not all, you know, in your hands. <laughs> was really, really <laughs> That's great. Right. So. That's right. And and it ha- it's true for parents on the entire continuum between the parents uh, and the question that you asked, the, the parents who uh, are desperately feeling like they have created all of the problems in their children's lives yeah. and the parents who, who refuse to take any responsibility. God's words, the paradigm of God's word creates a perfect balance. Yeah. One of the one of the things you go on to address is the concept of 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 boundaries. And I know that term itself can be a little bit of a minefield for some people, but I think you handle it really well and just acknowledge the reality that our relationships have different parameters uh, as your teens. Uh, and you you address different boundaries between teens, adult children living in your home and adult children that are independent of you. So can you maybe tease everybody a little bit with some of the dynamics of those boundaries and how you talk about them? Okay. Well, our commitment and the ad- our attitude toward the process of reconcili- reconciliation is going to be identical, regardless of the age or living arrangements of our children. But our approach has to take Uh, their living arrangements into account. So a child living in our home still has dependence on us for provision of their food and shelter, and they have an obligation to respect the standards and the atmospheres that are are created by their presence in our home. And that doesn't matter whether they're 16 or 26. Mm. It's not presumptuous or authoritarian for parents to set the atmosphere for their home. But parents also have the duty to accurately reflect the loving and compassionate authority of God to their children. That's always true with our children, regardless of their age. But there is special significance in the case of adult children living in our home. We need to show our adult children living in our homes the respect and dignity of his status as an adult. If you think about it, it really goes along with what we talked about a few moments ago of recognizing their adults, treating them like adults, and moving into that relationship of mutuality rather than that uh, relationship of 
uh, governing their lives so that we're uh, helping them to find the right path, helping them to make the right choices, which is true of your younger children. And of course, the boundaries for an adult child who's living independently, that's obvious. He has a sense of detachment that's connected to his ability. He makes his own choices. And uh, he creates the standards and atmosphere for his home. And we really can't impose our sensibilities on him. So I would say that uh, kind of identifies the three categories. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really helpful. And and you go into more detail and give really, I think, helpful perspectives. And, and like you mentioned, really specific um Instruction on conversation starters, not that it's a script, but just an idea of how you might even engage these conversations. That's a really helpful tool because I think some parents just don't know. I mean, how how do I talk to my adult child? If I've been in the habit of talking to them like they're a child still, how do I switch to talking to them like an adult? And you guys get, or you give some very practical uh, instruction on that. So I appreciate that. Uh, we're, we're almost out of time, but I do want to ask you this, this last question. How do you help encourage parents to persevere when things are moving in the right, uh, aren't moving in the right direction, even though they've maybe followed a lot of this advice? Um, and like you, you mentioned at the beginning, this is not a, a silver bullet. It's not a guarantee that your kids are going to become believers or even that your relationship will be reconciled. Um, so when it's not moving in that direction, and I know it's a very painful thing for parents. How do you mm-hmm. help them persevere in, in, yeah, in that relationship? Well, I think, first of all, very practical consideration uh, for parents when things aren't going the way they've scripted is to remember this is a process. It's not an event. We want to have events and have them over with and <laughs> done with. And this is a process. A biblical reconciliation is a process. But I would encourage parents to look at their experience in a little different light than looking uh, at at it in this dark way, rather than concluding that all of our efforts have failed. We could remember God's promises to us in his word, and we could conclude it hasn't worked yet. (laughs) So we can think about it this way. You're never at a place where your work has been in vain. You're on a journey. Like I said, it's a process, not an event. As long as our children are breathing, there is hope. Also, success in the reconciliation process is never measured by results from our efforts. Giving up, and that's what often happens, but giving up is a sign that we're hoping in our efforts rather than the work of God's spirit. Persevering is belief in God's promises, believing that God can do what I cannot. Mm -hmm. And probably most importantly, We need to remember that God has an agenda for us in all of this. He's humbling us. He's making us like Christ. God's agenda is always in these uh, significant trials of our lives. His agenda is always to make us holy. He's always at work to refine us. And so our trials, whether they're trials of our own making or they're foisted on us by others or the circumstances of life have unloaded on us, regardless of what those issues are, God is refining us. He he wants to bring us forth as pure gold. 
Now, I know it's lovely to have the family, our families grow in mutuality and to work together in Christ's kingdom. And it's precious to see one generation following another in God's ways. We all want that for our families. But the danger for us comes when we must have those results for our efforts if we're going to be happy Mm. or we become disconsolate and in despair because God hasn't moved that way in our family. We can find no comfort then or hope in God when our longings are not met by our children or our family. I'm not denying for a moment that heartache and a sense of loss that comes with broken relationships with our children. But despair is the product of unbelief. And so I always want to encourage us. We must remind ourselves that it's God's spirit that brings change, not our own efforts. And so if we find ourselves in despair, God's, God tells us don't lose heart. <laughs> we need to remember Christ's call that's recorded for us in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. There's rest in Christ and everything we need in order to continue the journey to persevere in the process of reconciliation. Yeah, yeah, it's a good good reminder that it's maybe not, it's less about what you do and more about who you know and going to him and continuing to draw near to him uh, in spite of whether we want to or not. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that. And we, the last two minutes I reserve for a segment called Two Minute Favorites. Are you, uh, you ready for this? I'm ready. All right. Just a warning. I, I have had a few people get their favorite candy sent in the mail. So, you know, you never, you never know what could happen. So That would be delightful. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Nobody's ever sent me my favorite candy. We'll see what happens, though. Uh, all right. Two Minute Favorites. Here we go. What is your favorite food? Pasta. Mm, favorite color? Blue. Favorite sport? A volleyball. Favorite sports team? Well, I have to say whatever teams my grandchildren are on because I don't really follow professional sports. <laughs> <laughs> uh, favorite gift you've ever received? Well, I would have to, besides love and God's grace, uh, which are obvious, I would have to say um those handmade gifts that my children and my grandchildren have made for me over the years. Mm, favorite gift you've ever given? I would have to say, actually, as I thought about this, I thought it would have to be those handmade things, uh, either food or crafts, or I do stained glass. So um, those kinds of things that I've made for others are the favorite gifts I've given. Favorite word? Favorite word. I would have to say, I'm trying to remember, uh, I would say love. Mm. Le least favorite word? Least favorite word would be hate. Mm. Favorite candy? Oh, dark chocolate. Favorite ice cream flavor? Chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> favorite, uh, favorite book of the Bible? Uh, that's a that's a really difficult one, but I would say that the Psalms are precious to me because of the way they uh, they map onto life. Mm. Favorite book outside of Scripture? Uh, favorite book outside the Scripture. 
I think that um, probably there are a number that have have really moved me, but I think uh, some of them. Um, Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> C.S. Lewis's books have touched me uh, a lot. His book on uh, shadows uh, have touched me a lot. Oh, very good. Well, that wraps up our two-minute favorite segment as well as our time together today. So Margie Tripp, thanks so much for being with us. And before we go, I just want to encourage our listeners that Shepherd's Press uh, has offered a discount of 30% to listeners of the podcast. So if you go to shepherdspress.org and you find it's not too late, you can put in the, the coupon code all caps too late, and that'll get you a 30% discount on the book there. And we'll link to that in our show notes as well. So Margie, thanks so much for being with us today on 1514. It was a delight. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. Also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell, who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.